We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, I'm going to scroll back up to the top so I don't lose anything. Uh, but Brian, there was other, there were other games in college football that we yeah. need to talk about, and uh, let's let's start off with the one that we kind of talked about yesterday, the Iowa Iowa State game, just because of how strange uh, mm-hmm. the stats ended up being for a 10 point Iowa win. The the offensive stats for them were, I mean, pedestrian Weird. at best. Weird, um, and it's just because the turnovers that that four turnovers, if, yeah. If that's and, not the and definition turnovers of turnovers, bad places, yeah. The right? definition of bad yeah. turnovers, yeah. Get, giving turnovers that led to like one of them led to a, a six yard fumble return. That means you fumbled deep in your own territory, right? You know, uh, the, their next that was so it was a 14 10 game in favor of Iowa, and they had that fumble, and it was like kind of late in the first third quarter. Neither offense was doing anything in this game. It was really good defenses by both, especially Iowa's defense was really good. But Iowa's offense has not looked good to me. They they're they're feasting on turnovers because they did the same yes. thing in their opener uh, against Indiana. They just they just their offense was very pedestrian against against Indiana. I I kind of look at Iowa right now. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors in my opinion. And what I mean by that is you can't count on forcing a million turnovers every game. You you can't you can't for you know focus on blocking punts and they've turned they forced seven turnovers in the first two games, seven turnovers. That but that's not that's not how you win. I mean yes, it's how you win games. That's, you can't that's win it week after week. They've exactly. they've had they've gone for three hundred and three yards and one hundred and seventy three yards of total offense in their two games. They have four hundred and seventy six yards of total offense in their first two games. Notre Dame had that in almost each of their first two games. Right, and and I mean. And- there were problems with Notre Dame. And, and like, it's not like, yeah. okay, and the other thing is oh, when you force, like, okay, so, like, I coached a team at Muhlenberg College. We averaged 40 points a game in the regular season. We only averaged about 350 yards of offense per game because our average starting field position was the 48-yard line. Like, okay, you can't rack yeah. up a whole lot of yards when you, right. you know, and we, we we had, like, seven special teams touchdowns that year. You know what I mean? Uh, so w- w- when I look at it, say, okay, that, that, that yards can be misleading, but they averaged 4.7 yards per play against Indiana. And 2.9 yards per play against Iowa State. Right, their offense is not good, 
and you're not going to force on average, you know, you're not going to be able to, to get away with it. And it's timely turnovers too, which sure. kudos to them for doing that. Sure. But it won know, the game. You I just mean, can't, you yeah. just can't. And Ladarius is, is, I was a good team. I don't know what y'all don't see. Never said they're not a good team. They're just not going to keep winning games, averaging 200 and was it? Let me, let, let's see their offense. They're not going to win a lot of games averaging 238 yards of offense per game and 3.8 yards per play. And where does that where does that rank them? 238 yards a game. Well, That's the 238 yards. I, I, let's let's look at the let's look at the yards per play because okay. the 238 yards again. They had a drive that went minus six, a scoring drive that went from minus six yards against Iowa State because they had a field goal. Yes, yeah. right. They had another scoring drive that went 18 yards. Their their first scoring touchdown went 49 yards. Right, those aren't long drives, but yards per yard. So total offense, just for fun, total offense they rank near the bottom of the country, 126th. Yeah, 130 in, in total offense. But let's let's look at a more realistic number, and that's yards per play. Uh, they rank because that's more determined by your efficiency, not necessarily you, you got a lot of short fields. They're 125th. Right, 125th in yards per play. That's not good. Now they're still winning because of the turnovers, but again, you're not going to keep doing that week after week after week. You're you're right. not going to you're not going to beat a bunch of teams, you know, with a quarterback that's completing barely fifty percent of his passes. Yeah. You're, you're just not. I mean, you're just, you're not going to beat teams all year. He's actually completing fifty percent of his passes. He's twenty four of forty eight on the year for two hundred fifty one exactly yards. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we got something here, Vince. This is a good well, one. Okay, hit me. Um, <clears throat> Adam C. I'm going to get rid of this ESPN stuff blasting in my ears. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I Adam C. Too. 40. Yeah, sorry. It's because like, ESPN just like this randomly will start playing yeah. ads in the middle of things. As a Toledo parent, I'd like to thank Notre Dame for a first-rate experience. You know what was kind of funny, Vince? The first person that recognized us at the game on Saturday was a Toledo fan. Yeah, it was. He was like, was. Mr. Driscoll. And I was like, uh, is my dad here at the game? <laughs> uh, and he said, hey, I'm a Toledo fan. I've been listening to your show all week. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that look, and, they got a good really squad. Cool. You guys yeah. are you guys yeah. are gonna have a good season. It's gonna it should yeah. be a lot of fun to watch. So you know yeah. they put up a fight. They yeah. put an absolute fight, and yeah. your fans brought it. I will yeah. say that your fans brought the noise and the energy, and their their section was packed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see dots of Toledo fans, you know, throughout the stadium as well. So yeah, you know, it, everyone that I ran across, they were great. So yeah, that, you know, kudos to you as well. Yeah, Ohio State, Oregon, Vince. I want to talk about that one. Well, and that was the one we kept getting updates because we watched a little bit of it, you know, to start before we took off. And then we were getting updates throughout. And uh, Oregon pretty much controlled at least the score of that game the entire way. And Ohio State's offensive stats were a tad misleading, too. They threw for a bunch of yards, but they had turnovers. And they did. And a lot of it was just trying trying to come back. I mean, they threw for 484 yards, 454 passes. Yeah, yeah, 64% of those 54 passes were complete, nine yards uh, on average. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the QBR was 81. So, I mean, that kind of tells you a little bit about what was going on there. Um, And and the Oregon kid, Anthony Brown, he he was like 48% of his passes. But he just managed it, man, you know. But it was the run game. I mean, look. 269 yards. Exactly. That and that was my biggest thing with Ohio State last week. Mm-hmm. Um when they were playing Minnesota is they got run all over. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be their Achilles heel at this point. Now, these are the two most experienced lines they're probably going to play all year. Fair enough. Okay. But 
they got bullied. Yeah. And this is a defensive line with a bunch of highly ranked recruits. And like a friend of mine was like, you know, they're real young. I'm like, no, their their rotation guys are young. Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent and a lot of those guys, those are veteran guys. Those aren't young guys. Those they're bringing young guys off the bench. Yeah. They shouldn't, but I'll tell you part of the problem too is their linebacking core is very pedestrian. And their their secondary is does not strike fear into my heart at all. <laughs> It, it it's amazing for as many highly ranked recruits of they as they've landed. Yeah, how mediocre they look in the back seven. Right, and, and and then what was supposed to be the thing that overcame that was a great defensive line, and people are just saying, okay, you've got athletes there, but we're just going to beat you up. And so far, they're two for two. Yeah, in that regards, because if they if Minnesota had a had an offensive coordinator that was worth a grain of salt, they they might have been able to beat Ohio State or at least be in it late. You know, and they missed so many opportunities to put Ohio State away in the second and third quarter, uh, but it was uh, it was a uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly. I went back and watched, and they were just beating Ohio <laughs> State up. I mean, they just and you don't they expect physically that beat them up. Yeah. You don't expect them to be just a physical dominating run team. Yeah. I mean, they they, they well, this were. This is what Oregon thought they were going to be last year. Okay, before COVID, because they oh, okay. had Penae Sewell, right. and, and you know what I mean. And like they had like he opted out, and another guy opted out, and like. This is what Oregon thought they were going to be before COVID wrecked their season. They thought sure. they were going to have this great offensive line. And then because of all those guys opted out, the, some other guys got experience and now they're all back. Right. Uh, and Makes yeah, sense. Vince, it was it was fun. It was fun to watch <laughs> that. And I'll tell you what, Anthony Johnson did a great job spreading the ball around too. There was he threw for 236 yards, which isn't a ton, but 12 different guys caught a pass in that game. Right. He had 17 completions. That's spreading the flipping ball around, and that's playing a lot of dudes. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. So I, I I enjoyed that. Ohio State had three receivers go over 100 yards. They're receiving, and that's the other thing is well, if their receiving, receiving core, core wasn't what it was, that that game's not close. Yeah, their receiving core is so it's good. ridiculous, so good. It so really good. is. It's to me, it's 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 on par. I don't know if I'd say it's better. It's close to what Bama's was two years ago. It's fair. When they had Jerry Judy and, yeah. and Devontae Smith and Waddle and Ruggs, I'd say it's close. I'd say it's close. Those guys, I think, were maybe a little bit more explosive athletes. This group is a little bit – they've got like three Devontae Smiths as far as style of play. Yeah. You know, like great route runners and, you know, they they got a bunch of Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy types. Maybe Jerry Judy might be a better comparison. But, man, that's a great receiving core. But oh, no doubt. Their, their offensive line didn't look good to me. Uh, they've moved some guys around. They got Thayer Mumford playing guard now, and and they just don't. They they look slow up front to me. I don't know if you saw that much of that Vince, but I didn't see a whole bunch of especially it. Especially like even against Minnesota, like they they look sluggish up front. Okay. Like they put too much weight on those guys. Is what it looked like to me. Gotcha. And that, that was makes sense. that was yeah. an interesting one. That was that was the big upset of the weekend for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the the next one that I want to talk about, Brian, involves two Notre Dame opponents mm. um, and, and still... I would say a surprising outcome. I, I don't know if it was necessarily an upset or not, but a surprising outcome. Stanford just – I'd say that's a, a surprise. At USC, okay. I'd say just, that's surprising. Don't you? Just putting the beat down. Stanford lost to, to Kansas State 24-7 to in the opener. Now, they did make a quarterback change. So Jack West started against Kansas State, and Tanner McKee came off the bench. Mm-hmm. Tanner started against USC, and, and, and he – played well the 42 points i thought was a little misleading vince they only had 375 okay. yards of offense right it's just usc's offense was so bad and i've been saying this keaton slovis is overrated and graham harrell's overrated i have been saying that for how long and you know you look at stanford they had a they had they, they had a 87 yard drive a, a 73 87 yard drive was one play and like 87 of their 130 some yards came on one one play uh, second half, they had a five, a thirty-one yard interception return, and then Stanford just put them away. Like you, they went up twenty-eight thirteen, and that was gut check time for USC. And USC's offense folded, and their defense folded. It looked yeah. like this is a team that just quit. I mean, that's what it looked like to me. I don't know how much of you saw Vince, but to me, it looked like USC just quit. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me at all because that comes from the top. Um, and I've never really been impressed uh, with Clay Helton and what he brings to the table. But I coach. hope that he turns it around, Vince, because I do not want him to get fired. Yeah, I know, right? I want, <laughs> I want them for to hold on to him. Clay Helton there forever. <laughs> they can hold on to him as long as they want, because regardless of of you know how bad USC could potentially be, that's still a program that is very yeah. attractive to coaches. And if you get a good coach in there. They could be really, really good because they're yeah. right smack dab in the middle of some seriously fertile recruiting ground, yeah. and they've got a name, the tradition, and all that. It was forty-two to thirteen. USC <laughs> scored twice in the final six they, minutes. They had fifteen points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they only had thirteen well, points going into the fourth. They had quarter. fifteen points in the final six minutes. Like it was garbage yeah. time. Their last touchdown came with like forty-six seconds left. Right. Like that was that was a embarrassing. I mean, that might be a job killer for him to lose to that Stanford team that yeah. bad at home and to have your team. And it's not always about losing; it's about how you lost. If sure. your team quit, yeah, absolutely. You know? I was not afraid of Stanford in any way, and I'm still, still not. not. I'm still, still not. not. I watched that game. They, I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what I like about Stanford. Okay, they have some receivers. They have some kids that can catch the ball. Uh, okay. John Humphreys, you remember that kid? Uh, Notre Dame tried to recruit him a little bit. I thought he had some tough catch. Elijah Higgins is a big old kid from Texas. They have uh, that each uh, it, one of their running backs. I love is EJ Smith. It makes me feel so old. It's Emmett Smith's kid. Oh, you no know? kidding. Uh, so I felt super old. But yeah, they they've got those. You know how when Stanford's really good at those big receivers could just win one on ones. Right. Yeah, they got a they bunch did. of those guys back now. Yeah, those Elijah guys Higgins is that. Ends. Tremaine is that. John Humphreys is that. Uh, they've got they you know Austin Jones couldn't get anything going in the running game. 
Uh, Nathaniel Pete had an 87-yard touchdown run. He didn't do a whole lot else other than that. They, yeah. Their running game's got some issues because their offensive line's not very good, but they were able to just make plays on the perimeter. USC secondary is, is – a when you consider how many highly ranked kids they have, it's a mess. It's a mess. Well, yeah, you, you talk about Stanford's run game. I mean, they, you, right, Nathaniel Pete had that 87-yard touchdown run, but then the rest of the backs that got touches, mm-hmm. the long was five, three, three, seven, two. I mean, you know, they, they weren't exactly – you know, busting out any long runs, that's for sure. So they, they right. had a tough time getting anything going. And they average right. the averages that they had 1.3, 1.8, 2.5, you know, 0.6. It's just not good, frankly, uh, on the ground. How much did you enjoy watching Texas get blasted by Arkansas? Uh, I normally don't root for SEC teams. And if Texas right. was still just in the Big 12, I would have rooted for Texas. But I have not, not sold out anti-Texas anymore now at this point in time because they're the one that drove this whole SEC thing. Oh, I'm sure they and did. And watching one of the worst teams in the SEC run for 333 yards on them was hilarious. <laughs> and and Arkansas is not a great team. They will finish in the bottom half of the SEC right. West. They are not a great team because yep. – we talked about Arkansas uh, because Notre Dame was obviously supposed to play them last year mm-hmm. before everything hit, and you know they, they were they were very active in the transfer portal, you know all of those different things. But they just absolutely—I mean, they're two and zero. They hammered Texas, mm-hmm. absolutely hammered them, and their quarterback only threw the ball nineteen times, but he completed fourteen of them for one hundred and thirty-eight yards, so nothing special there. But the run game—I mean, that—that's where they got them. 75 yards, mm-hmm. 73 yards, 67. I mean, it was just, okay, who wants who wants to uh, get some yardage here? Yeah, come on in. Come on in. Here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it was it was just wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And Texas has fallen so far. Now, I don't know if they're going to stay there, if Sarkis, you know, get them going or whatever. But I like I, Sark, and I've always kind of liked Texas as sort of like a team that I, I like on the side. Not anymore. Yeah, and it's not. I don't have an issue. I don't blame Sark because I don't think Sark. I don't think Sark was like, "Hey, I'm here. Let's go to the SEC." This has been right. happening. This has been in the works way before he got there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but but I, I I hope Texas gets just. I hope I root for them to lose every week now. Like if they played Michigan, I'd root for Michigan. <laughs> Oof. Like seriously, okay. like that's how breaks. much I despise Texas right now for what they're trying to do to college football. Okay, and all, all right. based on greed. All yeah. based on. Oh, greed. it is. It absolutely. And I hope they is. get embarrassed. Miami's in a little bit of trouble too, Vince. I know you got to run here, but they. They needed to come back to beat Chase Bryce in Appalachian State. Chase Bryce has transferred to like another team now. He <laughs> went from Duke and they didn't win a game. I don't think he won a game last year, Duke. Maybe one. And then he Where goes did he to App start State. Out at? He was at Clemson. He was a kid that came off the bench against Syracuse That's in 2018 right. when Trevor Lawrence got yes. hurt. Okay. I know. Because when Trevor was now. named the starter, Kelly Bryant transferred. Right. And then Trevor got hurt like in the first half in that game. Yep. And Chase Bryce came in and, uh, they almost lost App State at home. Miami, Miami could be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. And yeah. BYU had a big win this weekend over Utah. Pretty convincing win over Utah as well. I yeah, mean, that did, did, yeah, did, I don't know if you saw much of that game or not, but BYU was physical in that game. They looked like a completely different team. than Like, like last year, they had the quarterback, and they were throwing it all over the place. Sure. They came out and just ran it down Utah's throat, and that surprised me. Yeah. I didn't think that they could do that. I, I really didn't. I mean, I, I thought you. I thought Utah would win, but I thought it'd be a much more competitive game. It was twenty-three to seven at one point in time. Well, and, and BYU yeah, was up. It's going to say because Utah, Utah put up ten points in the fourth quarter. So Utah I mean, has a very generic yeah. offense. I mean, yeah. I just don't know how coaches think they can. I just don't know how coaches think that they can win that way. Right. I just this isn't like this isn't like when you beat Alabama back in two thousand eight, man. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just I'll, I'll never understand that. 
Any other games, Vince, before you have to bail that you want to – oh, and by the way, for everybody freaking out about Toledo, Cincinnati beat Murray State 42-7. to It was tied 7-7 at halftime. Yes, it was. It was. You know, Texas A&M barely beat Colorado. It is early, right? And Notre Dame's 2-0, and you know. Right. They're going, they're going to be all right. That's the bottom line. They're so, going to yep. be all right. So that's kind of our look back, and uh, I think Brian is going to get in there and, and answer some Try questions. Try to answer some more questions here. There's yeah. some good ones in there for sure, but yeah. uh, I will see everybody I, tomorrow. I got to ask you one question about oh, yeah. uh, college football events. <clears throat> if you were creating the spread of what you think the, the, the point differential is going to be for Nebraska at Oklahoma, what would you say it's going to be? Nebraska at Oklahoma? Yes. About 24 Okay, it's twenty-two. So good. Oh. I, I'd set it at forty. Oklahoma's <laughs> <laughs> gonna murder Nebraska this weekend. It is gonna I be generous. So I guess. I guess. I'll no, be you generous. were being realistic because <laughs> the the line is twenty-two. Okay. Yeah, so you picked close. a really like you you picked a really good line. I was looking. I'm looking more at like I just think <laughs> Oklahoma's gonna murder Nebraska. I think it's gonna they be will. ugly. They're gonna run it up too. I, I, I mean, oh, absolutely. Especially yeah. as Oklahoma Nebraska was trying to get out of the game. Right. <laughs> were they really? Yeah. They are gonna destroy that. Oklahoma or Nebraska so bad it's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be fun anyway. to watch, is what it's gonna be. So we'll get into some more of these questions here and just kind of roll through these here real quick. Jacob Dunn says, in lieu of personnel changes, could the offense just use Mayer and a second and two receivers as receiving options and use tight ends and running backs to block? It just doesn't seem like we uh will see the O-line personnel change. I mean, they could do that, Jacob, but if they have to do that, the offense is gonna struggle. Because the problem is right now, Toledo brought four and five. And Florida State mainly just brought four. And if you're only releasing, so if you keep a back and a tight end in, so let's say they go 12 personnel, right? And that's two receivers, two tight ends in a back. You keep one, so you keep George Takis back and you keep your running back in the game. You now have three receivers running against minimum, minimum six DBs, potentially seven. I don't care how good your receivers are. If you can't protect four against four and five blockers, and you have to keep two guys in, you're going to lose. You're going to get beat by good teams because you're just not – they're going to be able to – literally, if if you're able to get pressure with five guys, which is what Toledo was doing, you li- and you and so it forces Notre Dame to keep two guys in to block, you literally have two guys for every Notre Dame receiver that's in a route. Because you have five linemen, you have two blockers and the quarterback, that's eight guys. You have three guys in a route. And if they're bringing five and getting pressure with five, you've got six guys covering three. That's not going. It's not going to work against Wisconsin. It's not going to work against Cincinnati or Virginia Tech or USC. Well, maybe USC. Uh, you know, North Carolina and, and Virginia and and Stanford. It's just it's not going to work. You have to be able to get your line to play better. And if the line doesn't play better, then yeah, some some big time changes need to happen uh, now. Like now, Christopher Jenkins asked. Everyone is focused on Kelly and Quinn with the O line. Reese is the OC. What is he saying about the offensive line? And does he have any influence with Kelly in the direction of the offense? He has no direction on who Kelly hires. Look, this is very obvious. Okay. Jeff Quinn, Brian Kelly said when he hired Jeff Quinn that Jeff Quinn was the guy that the players wanted. I know for a hundred percent fact that that is not true. The players wanted Joe Gilbert. Chip Long wanted Joe Gilbert, right? That that he was someone that Chip Long knew. He had coached with him. Joe Gilbert interviewed. The players liked him. That's who they wanted. Joe Gilbert's now coaching the offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had a pretty good year last year, right? They won the Super Bowl. Line, by the end of the year, was playing pretty well. That's who they wanted. Brian Kelly's the only person that wanted Jeff Quinn. One of the several reasons why Chip Long's tenure at Notre Dame is because Chip went in there and told Brian Kelly, 
we need to replace Jeff Quinn. And Brian Kelly said, no, we're going to replace you. If you're Tommy Reese, what precedent does that set? Do you think Tommy Reese is going to walk into Brian Kelly's office as a 29-year-old second-year offensive coordinator, knowing that relationship with Jeff Quinn, and say, hey, coach, we need to make a change? He has no say on that. And the difference between Tommy Reese and, and Chip Long, and this is not a knock on Tommy Reese, this is just an experiential thing, is Chip could have more of a say on the offensive line because he has experience working with tight ends and offensive lines in the past. Tommy Reese has coached quarterbacks his whole career. And Tommy Reese knows scheme really well. He's a really smart guy. I don't think Tommy could go down there and work with the offensive line and coach him up. I know I couldn't have. You know, when I was a coach, I could design schemes. We can need to block this guy and we need to do that guy. But that's 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 you need to be able to teach them how to then go block. And that's the problem is, is that they're now I think where Tommy can have a say is I think it would probably be smart for Tommy Reese to maybe have more full offensive meetings or maybe have more meetings with the quarterbacks in the line together so he can make sure that they see more film. Uh, that they are more prepared for the things that that defense are going to throw at them. I think that is something that Tommy Reese could practically do. That's because you're making them more o- assignment aware of what they need to do, making them more aware of of, of checks and and who they need to block, and and then that way you're also holding Jeff Quinn accountable because you're hearing the the, the things that he's teaching them while you're doing the film session. I think that's something Tommy Reese could indirectly do to help the line be better. But again, that's that's only a small part of it. It's now can you go out and teach them how to how to from a fundamental technical standpoint execute what you just taught them to do schematically? That's a whole different ballgame. And that's the thing Charlie Weiss never did. Charlie Weiss did, didn't teach guys how to play. He taught them what to do, and that's why they struggled. Tommy Reese can teach them what to do, but he can't teach them how to do it, nor should he be held accountable for that. That's why this is a Brian Kelly, Jeff Quinn thing, because Brian Kelly is the reason that Jeff Quinn is the offensive line coach. And the only reason Jeff Quinn is the offensive line coach in Notre Dame. And it is Brian Kelly who needs to be held accountable if Jeff Quinn doesn't make changes. Now, I'm so hopeful that Coach Quinn's going to make those changes. I am. We've seen this team start like we're going to hammer them when they're not playing well. But I don't I don't think and Vince is still here. He can shake his head. Yes or no. He's still in the bottom of the thing. I don't think that this is just who the line's going to be the rest of the year. I, I Now, it could, and Vince agrees with me, it could be that way, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to get better. The question is how much better and how quickly, but they're going to get better. Are they going to get better uh, enough to where, where they should be? I doubt it, but they're going to get better. They're not going to look like they did against Toledo every week. I just don't see that. The question is, is, is how quickly can they get the things rolling? I think that's going to be more of the question. Ryan Drake said, I had the same thought, Brian, while watching them use Buckner on Saturday. I think together they can create some headaches for defensive coordinators. Uh, Mr. Hughtown says, the experience we do have at offensive line was under three years of book style of play. Trying to switch gears to a pro-style quarterback is proving harder than expected. Um, No, that's not accurate. Ian Book's style of play isn't much different than what they're doing now. They were a drop-back team under Ian Book. Ian Book would just scramble when things broke down. They haven't changed their offense. They're still running inside zone, outside zone, and counter. It's the same running plays they ran last year. Um, the, the, a lot of the time, I mean, the, the pass protections, it's the same. I'm breaking these these games down. They haven't changed anything from what they were last year. Same run plays, same protections. They've changed some schemes in the pass game, like the specific routes, and, and a lot of that's been good. It's been effective. I, I've liked what they've done, but they're not they're – not, running a different offense than they ran in the past. They're not. They're running the same offense they ran in the past. 
uh, schematic in every single way possible for the offensive line. They're just not executing. So I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Cameron Ford says, I am so excited going to the Purdue game next week. My dream since I was, I have been a kid is going to Notre Dame game. How fun is it in person? It's a blast Cameron. And I would encourage you if you're able to get in on Friday, try to get in on Friday and experience some things, but Saturday, get up there as early as possible. You know about our tailgate because you said you're going to be there. We also have an article at irishbreakdown.com. Uh, it's called the Ultimate Game uh, Game Day, Notre Dame Game Day Experience, and it gives you all the different things you want to do. There's a map in there of the stadium. Make sure you check that out. We did publish that last week, so that is up for anyone that wants to see that, but I think that is something that would be, would be very helpful uh, as well. Rob Didoff says, uh, Brian and Vince, I know we have a long way to go, but to me, this is the worst offensive line since 2007. Through two games, I would agree with that. Through two games. Mr. Hutton, I do agree with this. <clears throat> Jack Cohn is too good to not try and work things out around him to help him succeed. I agree with you completely. Liam Gaming, now this I like. This is an interesting one. Liam Gaming says, do you think a second tight end will be put in a, in a halfback spot to be used for pass pro? Now, it's similar to what was asked earlier. You didn't say this specifically, but I'm going to add this because I, I should have got to it earlier. What I could see them doing is going more 12 personnel. And instead of keeping a back in the game, putting the back out on a route and leaving the second tight end to pass block. That I could see. And that's where you can do is maybe you don't have them as an inside, but you can you can alter your protections where maybe you're not doing a lot of mic protections with the back reading the linebackers but you're having him kind of, you're sliding more and then that guy can kind of help on an edge where you're, where one of your tackles is struggling. That way you're at least still getting four guys into a route. I can live with four guys into a route. And then the tight end can check slide if you want to off the edge. But I think that would, to me, maybe be an option I would use at times uh, beyond this kind of what they're doing now. Corey D, I feel like our running plays are not good. Plus, it would be nice to see some reverses and jet sweeps, et cetera. How much do you want to bet we don't run another running back screen for the rest of the year? It's absurd. Uh, they'll they'll run a lot of running back screens. I mean, they ran a huge running back screen in the third quarter of the game yesterday. They'll run lots of running back screens. Uh, they'll run running back screens, I'll bet you, this weekend. As far as reverses and stuff, again, what, what people have to understand is reverses don't work because your offensive line is blocking poorly. Reverses work because teams are being too aggressive. And, and teams aren't being overly aggressive against their right now. They're, they're just not. And so a lot of things that people are pointing to, I mean, I get where you're coming from, and traditionally that would make sense, but they're just not They're not over-pursuing right now. They're just kicking their butt up front, and there's not a lot in the arsenal to do when your line's just getting destroyed. It just There's not a lot you can go to. Bang1801 asks, I know that Styles and Colsey each caught a pass, but how many snaps did they play? Uh, not a ton, but I was I'm okay with what they did. Uh, so I'm gonna look it up here real quick. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, Colsey got six snaps and Dion and Styles got seven, and and those were six and seven snaps in real game moments. Uh, I think that they need to force the issue even more going forward. For the first game, I was okay with six or seven. Now moving forward, they're gonna have to play more because uh, Kevin Austin played 62 snaps on Saturday. Braden Lindsey played 60 snaps on Saturday. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of snaps for two guys that, in my opinion, are both coming off lower body injuries. You look at the first game, you know, Kevin Austin played 54 snaps, Brain Lindsay played 43. That needs to be closer to what it is because they, they, I don't think they can play 600 snaps a game, or maybe they can. I hope they can. But my fear is that they play six, you know, 60 plus snaps a game and, 
they're just going to wear down. And you can – Carter Deceit, there was times in – in and I'll have it in my grade. So I have my grade for the quarterbacks and, and running backs up on Irish Breakdown. I'll put my receiver grades up next year in a little bit. But there was times second half where Kevin Austin was just – I mean, he was jogging off the ball. And, and it wasn't being late. It just looked tired. Now, he was able to dig deep on that final drive and, and, and make a play when he needed to, and that was awesome. But he, he looked worn out. And Braden Lindsey can't just keep running all these deep routes and not getting the ball and and play 60 snaps a game. He's going to wear out. They're going to have to get Lorenzo and Dion, you know, to me, five to ten more snaps. You know, Joe Wilkins played 20 snaps in this game. Yeah, you know, I'd say maybe get him five more, maybe get do a little bit more, to, you know, 12 personnel. George Takis played 24 snaps, maybe get him up to 30. You know, just mix it up a little bit, you know, get a little – and I definitely want to see more 21 and 22 personnel with the two running backs. So Chris Tyree only played 18 snaps. Joe Wilkins played more snaps. And George Takis and Joe Wilkins both played more snaps than Chris Tyree on Saturday. That's not okay. That's not okay. That that needs to change, in my opinion. Absolutely. Trying to get us some more questions here. A lot of good conversation going on. Uh, Joe Belek says, do you think Notre Dame underestimated Toledo? I believe we thought we would pound this team and got – I caught sleepwalking. I think a little bit, Joe. I, I don't want to say that Notre Dame didn't come out playing hard, but they didn't play with the same intensity that they had against Florida State. I don't. I, I think to a degree, and I think to a degree they they underestimated Toledo. I think they respected Toledo, and they said all the right things leading up to the game. We had an article about how they were talking about this is a good football team, but it, it looked like they didn't have the same kind of fire you'd expect the team to have in their opener, especially when you consider it was a, against a quality team. Brandon is very fired up about the offensive line today, and I understand it. He says the O-line performance at the point, uh, senior leadership of Patterson and Lug need to step up and fire up this position group if Quinn isn't going to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's we've seen that in the past. In 2018, Alex Bars did that. In 2019, uh, in 2020, you know, Robert Hainsey did that in 2019. Last year, just it was a very mature group overall. But, yeah, we've seen that in the past, and it's, it's going to have to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe Bilek, every score prediction I've seen so far this year has been off considerably for Notre Dame. Brian and Vince, please predict a close game against Purdue so we can win handsomely. <laughs> this is why I don't gamble, Joe. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll try to give an honest score, but, I mean, the way that they played this past week, it, it, I, may, I may do that just because I think that. All right, so Michael Johnson made a point. He said, this O-line is fixable with a wide line split so the rush comes inside. So, I don't necessarily uh, completely agree with the second part to a degree I do, but I, it's a, that is something I was talking with a friend of mine who's a, a, a coaching friend of mine last night, and we were talking about the Notre Dame game, and I said the line splits were so bad against against uh, Toledo. It was so obvious to me when they were running inside zone because the, the backside was just so reduced, and it was hard for them to get any kind of step because their feet were so close. It was like they were in short yardage a lot of the time. I don't like the line splits that they're using. I think they're too close. And that makes the edge a lot closer for those guys to come. Uh, and then so that way, you know, when Jack Cohn has to step in, there's the pocket's really narrow and tight. I do think they need to spread out the the line more than they are. Uh, I don't they're not an air raid team where they're getting the super wide splits, but they need to get wider splits. I Michael, I think you're spot on on that. I think wider splits are a must. And I don't think so. The rush comes inside. I think it just allows them to get more movement off the line and, and to create a, you know, widen the pocket a little bit. So maybe there's some, some lanes for Jack Cone to step into, but 
Yeah, I, I agree. One of the issues that they have is the, the line splits, splits being way too tight. I said, that's why we talked about last night. That's kind of what I was talking about. So there were snaps, they were butt to butt, like almost at the snap. They were like butt to butt. That can't happen. You can't, I mean, it's going to happen like short yardage and stuff. But like when it's happening on inside zone, that's a problem. That's a real big problem. Three guys are butt to butt to butt. That That's, that's a problem. Terry Howie, not a Quinn fan, and I know Kelly won't get rid of him, but he has to preach alignment, assignment, technique with way more aggression. I agree completely. David Pollard says, I have questions about whether or not putting in younger, less experienced guys on the offensive line will work. The problem seems to be Quinn. You know, the 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 the, the counter to that argument, David, is that, I mean, look, Blake Fisher was their best lineman in the opener, and he hasn't been taught a lot of the bad um, – technique things that maybe some of the guys that, are, that have been under Quinn for years have been taught. I think that's kind of the, the argument. But I, I think to me, Quinn is the problem. But at the same time, I'm not blaming Jeff Quinn entirely for why guys aren't playing as hard as they need to. At some point in time, look, the technique, that's a coaching problem. The assignment correctness, that's a coaching problem. At the end of the day, Jeff Quinn's not doing his job to get these guys physically ready to play. But it, it, there needs to be a level of pride in you as a player to say, hey, look, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fight my butt off. And if I get beat, I get beat. If I mess up, I get mess, I mess up. But I'm going down swinging. And, and I mean that figuratively, right? But I'm going down swinging. And that's the mentality they need to have. And, you know, I just – that's the change that needs to happen. Cameron Ford asks, can Notre Dame make the playoff honestly? Not not the way that they're playing right now, Cameron, but I think the thing that we all have to understand is this isn't going to be who Notre Dame is all year. How much development do they get? How much improvement do they make? That remains to be seen. But they're not going to be the same team in Week 10 that they were in Week 2. And, and I'll point again to what we've seen in the past. I mean, look, in 2000, what was it, 2016, USC started the season 1-3. and three. They were terrible. By the end of the year, they were one of the best teams in the country. You know, Ohio State in 2014 won a national championship. They lost by two touchdowns at home to a Virginia Tech team that went seven and six. They just they got better and better and better. Now the difference is is those coaches made changes. Those coaches adapted what they were doing and 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 their teams got better. Does Brian Kelly have the willingness and and uh, to look past the friendship thing and recognize that this ain't getting a job done and fix it, or is he? Is he just going to kind of do what he did Brian Van Gordon, bury, put his head in the sand? I, hopefully not that. I hope he fixes it because this team still – everything I thought about this team preseason is still there. It's still there for the taking. It's just about are you going to be able to get that out of your football team? And that's going to be up to Brian Kelly. Michael Johnson says Notre Dame will be okay with so-so uh, – with so uh, with so with okay line play. Our quarterback and weapons around him have elite capabilities. Wide splits in the O-line could work. I think it would. I think it would be good for the running backs. And again, I'm with you on the wider splits. I, I'm. I, I'm. I'm with you on that. I think that's definitely something needs to be looked at. I'm not going air raid splits, obviously, but yes, I agree with you. I think that is an adjustment they can make because that allows them to get moving a little bit more. It also stretches out. I mean, for a quarterback, look. The shorter here's the thing. So the shorter the splits are, it means the closer the line are together. It means the closer the edge is to the quarterback. And so the way that the way that Toledo was rushing there and the floor was rushing is rushing wide and forcing the quarterback into the pocket and the guards weren't blocking anybody and the, the pocket was so narrow because they're the tackles are so tight that when they're doing that vertical pass set, by the time they're engaging, 
there was five or six times at least on Saturday, at least, and I could be underestimating it, where the moment that Josh Lug or the left tackle engaged with the quarterback, they were almost right in Jack Cohn's face. By the time they engaged with the defender, that's that's partly because of the vertical pass that they're doing. But the other part of that is because they're so close that it's getting in there. So, Michael, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's not something I had to address last night in the show. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. May say case as I watched the Ohio State Oregon game because of Peacock. I was not impressed with Ohio State's defense at all. Yeah, neither was I. I like this. James Scott says Oregon only lost momentum for a drive or two. They turned back around, regained their composure. The Ducks made Ohio State play at their place. That game, the way that that game was played out, you'd have thought that game was in Oregon. They were in complete control of that game, that environment the entire time. It was really, really interesting to see that. Uh, Brandon says, in your opinion, does a 12-0 Notre Dame get in over a 12-0 Ohio State Big Ten champ and or a 12-1 Clemson ACC champ? Yes. Yes, their schedule will be good enough. If Notre Dame's undefeated, they're going to be in the playoff. Now, that doesn't mean those teams won't also be in there. But if it came down to an undefeated um, an undefeated Notre Dame against a 12-1 Ohio State or a 12-1 Clemson, yes, Notre Dame would get in. Bruce Sher says, does the O-line dilemma either positively or negatively affect the recruiting of Rice and Shroud? I think it negatively does because when you watch how bad the line is, you're like, wow, that's – no, I think it negatively affects them. Now, again, it's two games, right? So if they come out and they're great for the next two, three games, if they kind of follow the same path they did in 2018 where they were okay against Michigan, they were bad against Ball State, and then they slowly got better and better and better, if Notre Dame follows that same path, it won't hurt the recruiting at all. And I'm hoping that's what we see. I'm hoping that we see a similar to 2000 because we saw that in 18. They didn't play great against Michigan, but they they did enough. They didn't play as well against Florida State as they did in Michigan in 2018, and they were worse against Toledo than they were than they were against uh, Ball State 2018. But it was a similar. This wasn't good. By game five, that line was playing pretty well, and by the rest of the year, after Alex Bars got hurt, they were able to do enough to just be a good, just a good solid line. And that's all they needed because they had Claypool and Boykin and Dexter Williams and Alizé and, and Cole Komet. And, you know, that was Ian Book's best season at Notre Dame. He was really good that year. They were able to still go out there and win. And that's how I feel about this team. The line doesn't have to be like it was last year. It doesn't have to be like it was in 2017. Just do your job. Just be solid. That's it. Just be average. If this line just gets to average, this offense is going to be really good. Clemson won a national championship in 2018 with an average offensive line. They won a championship in 2016 with an average offensive line. This team has the skills, the skill to be a dominant offense if the offensive line is just solid. That's it. Kenny Moore's uh, Ladarius said Clay Helton should be gone. Should should have been gone. Well, the the thing with that though, Ladarius is there was nobody they could, they could hire. The president has this thing where if you have any kind of check marks like black marks in your past, they're not going to look at you. So that's why they didn't look at Urban. That's why they didn't look at James Franklin. It's not a super attractive job right now because of a lot of things that don't have anything to do with football. And then Kenny Moore says Helton isn't going to make it through the season, and and I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you on that one. Uh, ben Tarnowski, what are the odds we can pry Cristobal away from Oregon as our next head coach? I don't think the odds are good, but would you like the hypothetical hire? He still has a lot to prove to me. Again, if let's just say looking down the road and Brian Kelly retires and he rides off into the sunset and and they're looking for a new head coach, would I look at Mario Cristobal? Yeah, I would. I'd look at him. He still has a lot to prove to me right now to before. I mean, look, they, they had a decent year last year. They had a 
decent year the year before that. They've, you know, he's growing the program. The recruiting is getting better, but I still need to see a lot from him. I want to see how how does he build on the success of the win over Ohio State? You know, what can he do moving forward? That's going to say a lot. But I would, I would, he'd be on my radar for sure. But I, I'm not, you know, this game this weekend was a big win, but it doesn't. It moves the needle a little bit, but it doesn't point it complete to where he would be a guy that I'm like, oh yeah, got to go get that guy. Because I hate Peacock, $5, and I could not pause, rewind, or DVR. Yeah. And I do think you can go back and watch it on replay. I, 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 and I think you can do – because Vince was watching it last night on Peacock when we did our breakdown. So he was able to move forward and, and, and things on the replay, but not live. Hey, Ladarius, I love having you in the chat, man, and I love talking ball with you, but I, this is going to get uh, – this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, and especially me. I mm-mm, mm-mm, don't, don't do that, my man. And but you are correct about this. Texas will struggle in the SEC, and you're absolutely right. Searcher Green says the Jacksonville State quarterback was from Clemson too. I think he was. The, Jacksonville State had a couple had a couple guys that were uh, transfers. So yeah, they they. But still, I mean, I'm not saying that's why they won. But yeah, I've, they had a couple guys that were were, were transfers that from Clemson. So Zarek Cooper is the kid that you're referring to. But yeah, they they have a, they have a couple. They have a couple of those guys that are were transfers. They have Demond Filial Johnson. He was a guy that transferred in uh, from Duke. He was another guy that that transferred in. So they they def, they definitely have some guys that that, tra- that were transfers that played uh, in the game on Saturday. But still, Florida State should not lose to them. Joseph Salvatore says, "Back to the Michigan line being better than ours. That's what I said when I watched them versus Washington. They bullied Washington up front. You're telling me we don't have just as good of linemen as them. Now, the one thing that people will say, and they're right, is that Michigan has a lot more experience. A lot of those guys are, you know, they have like three or four starters coming back. I get that. So, I expect them to execute better. The the, the thing that I don't expect and don't think is okay is, yes, they should execute better. But there's no excuse. There's no excuse at all to me for lack of toughness." None. That's not excusable just because of an experience. Just the last few questions here before we head out of here. Adam Blair says, hey, Brian, how good is George Takis, John Dirksen, and Andrew Christophicus players? I really don't know much about them. I think Andrew Christophicus or George Takis is a good football player. I think he's a good number, t- number two tight end. He's always played well when he got in the game. I'd like to see them maybe, you know, don't feature him more because you got those, but I think they need to at least target him a couple times a game just to keep people honest. I think that would be that would be good. I think it would help keep keep so that way when he's in the game, you're not just a blocking guy. And they they tried to do that on Saturday. He was out in pass routes on Saturday. Just the ball never quite came his way. Um, and uh, yeah, so but uh, Andrew Gustafson and John Dirksen haven't seen a lot of them. I mean, they had talent. I liked them coming out of high school, but we just haven't seen them play a whole lot to be honest with you. So I really can't speak to what they are now. Andrew Gustafson was a very high upside offensive lineman when he came to Notre Dame. I liked him quite a bit. He just. He just hasn't got much of a chance to play. And, and I got a text from a buddy of mine during the game. He's like, this is what happens when you don't develop your younger players. And he was absolutely right. I mean, this you, you, you didn't play guys last year you know, because you didn't blow people out. You tried to play that conservative ball, and you just didn't do a good enough job getting guys ready to play. Ladarius Martin asked, did Notre Dame try and go after Doug Marone before he came to Alabama? Nope. Notre Dame's offensive line coach has been here since 2018, and he is not going anywhere. Brian Kelly, he's been with Brian Kelly for 30 years. Corey D said, Brian, Tommy, you should have a say. It's all about collaboration and sharing of ideas. It should be that way. It's about being mindful and receptive to new ideas. I agree, but that's just not the way it is for Brian Kelly when it came to hiring the offensive line coach. And, and again, it's because it's Jeff Quinn. 
Marcus Freeman had a say in in assistant coach hires. Tommy Reese had a say in John McNulty. I know for a fact that Tommy Reese was involved in Brian Kelly going after John McNulty to coach tight ends when Chip Long left because they coached together when when uh, Tommy was with the San Diego Chargers. So Tommy Reese has had a say in that. He's not going to have a say in the offensive line coach as long as Jeff Quinn is the option. Now, if Brian, if Jeff Quinn retired or Brian Kelly decided to maybe make him an analyst or maybe John McNulty goes to the NFL after this year, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just trying to create – and you say, hey, let's make Jeff Quinn the tight ends coach and bring in another offensive line coach. Would Tommy Reese have a say then? Yeah, I think he would. But when it comes to Jeff Quinn, he wasn't going to have a say. That's just a fact. I mean, look, Chip Long didn't. Chip Long did not want Jeff Quinn as the line coach. Not he would have been of the four option. He was the fourth option for Je- for Jeff Quinn or for Tommy or for Chip Long. I know for a fact that no matter what Brian Kelly says, I, this is coming from the horses' mouths. The players wanted other people. They did not want Jeff Quinn. Harry Heastan was not fond of Jeff Quinn. The players loved Harry Heastan. I mean, this isn't hard to figure out. This is a Brian Kelly. This is a Brian Kelly decision. That's just a fact. I'm not saying, I mean, hopefully it works out. Hopefully Jeff Quinn turns things around. And by the end of the year, we're like, man, this guy's a great coach. I hope that happens. But, you know, I just don't see it. Nicholas Garashas, as much as, I, as it hurts to say it, we need Stanford to go 10 and 1 or 9 and 2 and win the Pac 12 division. We need them to be ranked high along with Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Southern Cal. We need a big win in November, December. I agree. But as long as Notre Dame's winning, um, they'll be fine. M. Kostrup, did Ian Book hide some of these O-line issues the past few years? No, because the offensive line last year was really good. Uh, I think Ian Book at times created some issues at times. He would scramble too quickly. But there were also there were some times now uh, where he was able to – I guess I shouldn't say no. At times he did. At times he did. Not last year as much, but in, in 18 and it's more so 19, there were times he did. Now, there was also times that Ian Book created problems for the offensive line. But, yes, his mobility at times allowed him to get out of some pressures that came. The problem with Ian, there was too many times when he would just kind of take off when there wasn't a need to. But when there was a need to, he was an athletic guy, could get out of the pocket and scramble and run and do those type of things. So, yeah, uh, I think there were times he did, but I don't think that they were always this – what I don't want to come across like they were always this bad and Ian Book saved him, that was not the case. They were never this bad. Oh, DMK with the super chat. I did not see this earlier, DMK. I am so sorry. So sorry if, if this has been covered. I just got here. What would BK's legacy look like if he got out of his own way and the, got the best coaches in could lore? His legacy would be that of a champion, in my opinion. I mean, I truly believe that. I think this team is so close. And that's part of my frustration with this whole thing is because I do think this team is close. And, you know, you're a, you're a couple guys away if you just, you know, stop being so stubborn. You're a couple guys away from having a really, really good situation. And hopefully he can do that. Uh, James Scott says, I like the way Book played. He saw the field and read his opponent's D scheme well. That is not how I would describe Ian Book's play. He That was the one criticism I heard from many NFL scouts about him is he did not see the field well. He did not read opponent schemes well. So I, I'm going to have to strongly disagree on that one. Edward says, uh, the O-line may get better, but they won't. They won't be going up against the likes of Toledo for the rest of the year. Will the improvement be enough to show better results against higher quality of position? That's a great question. I don't have an answer to that. That's the that's the hope and the need, but I don't I don't have an answer for that. Zach Garza said our our, our trip this past weekend was amazing. Enjoyed the close game, but I expected a blowout. The line makes me nervous. 
Buckner was electric. And not only was he electric, but he was electric and the, the crowd responded when Tyler got in the game too, which you expect when a, a, a player like him kind of gets in there. Chief Brody says, do you think they'll get it figured out for Purdue? I hope so. I sure hope so. I don't I don't know if, if he will. RT says, do you think they let Michigan Toledo score on that third down play to get the ball back? The Toledo QB should have stopped at the five. I don't think they did. We talked about this yesterday and after the game. I think it was more of a they needed a stop there. That was the thing. They needed a third and one stop. They were in about 40-plus yard field goal territory. They had one timeout left. They had to get them a mistake. It was third and one. You need to stop there. Stop them on third and one. Call your timeout. There's still well over a minute left in the game. And if you get a stop there, they're kicking a field goal, and you've got time to go down and score. Uh, so, no, I don't think they were trying to let them score. I think they were they were committed to making a stop, and they were too aggressive and didn't read it correctly, and the guy pulled it and scored. You say, should he gone down at the five? Sure, he, you know, maybe you could say that. I don't agree with that. I think you've got your defense has to make a stop. Right, simple as that. Your defense has been playing great all game. You have to give them a chance to make a stop. There's a lot of things that could have gone wrong: muff snaps, miss kicks, block kicks, all types of things could go wrong in a field goal. You have a chance to take the lead, take the lead, you know. And um, I just that's I, I see it differently than a lot. I may understand where you're coming from, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. It's just I think this is a strategy I would have taken a different approach, in my opinion. Thanks for being with us, Michael. Appreciate you. Really good stuff today. Uh, Jermaine Berkeley asked, maybe if we ask Kelly to fire, to get Quinn some assistance, uh, like a really good GA or something, we can keep Kelly and Quinn from losing face. Now this is what the players did. The players tried to get Brian Kelly to hire Chris Watt in 2019. And he said, no, I was told that by multiple people back then too. And then after the struggles of 2019, he kind of relented and hired Chris Watt and it was a great decision. And so, yeah, I think, um, you know, I I think, but look, I think the GA they hired now comes with a good reputation. I don't know him personally, but you know, hopefully they can. The, what I've heard, so in the past, Jeff Quinn has not been overly receptive to allowing tight end GAs to have much of a say. Chris Watt's situation was different. I don't know what it's like for the new GA. I have honestly have no idea. David Pollard says, thank you for the great analysis, Brian. You are welcome. You give this Notre Dame fan living in SEC country so much fuel against the ridiculous SE files. Uh, you are welcome. Chief Brody says, hey, Brian, my worry is that Tommy Reese will start getting some blame if the offense doesn't improve. I think he's been great. If he doesn't adjust his game plan for a battle line, is he at fault? Yeah, he's at fault. I mean, it, he shouldn't have to do that, right? But at the same time, you have to you have to call the game with what you have. And if you have great skill but a bad line, you have to call a game to prepare for that. I mean, it's unfortunate that he has to be in that situation. I feel bad for him because I think he's called two good games so far. And he tried doing things in the second half to, to negate that. I think the, how they used Buckner was part of that. They got him out of the pocket a lot and things like that. They did some things with Jack Cohn. They ran a, um, uh, some boots with Jack Cohn. They ran an RPO with Jack Cohn. Uh, you know, uh, the, early in the game, he ran an RPO, that boot where he threw the ball to, to, um, to Avery Davis on the 37-yard game. They got called back. That was an RPO boot. That the one that they ran with Tyler Buckner later, they ran it first with with uh, Jack Cohn. So he did some of those things, but it's just the line's so bad. It's just, I just don't know what he can do, and that's that's the unfortunate thing. Cameron Ford asks, "Will Notre Dame ever win a championship again?" I think so, absolutely. John Erickson, IB sarcasm alert: Is our new defensive scheme an indication that we are planning to join the Big Twelve? <laughs> Ouch. Ouch, John. 
Very ouch. Oh, my goodness. Jeff DeMonks is about the Peacock broadcast. I was using ESPN app for stats and ESPN GameCast uh, at least three minutes ahead of the Peacock broadcast. I knew what happened before it was on TV. Pathetic. I've heard that complained about a lot. A lot. I've heard a lot of people say that. Irish for Life, glad you were with us today. Appreciate that. Chief Brody says, the problem Notre Dame is that people can't wait for us to mess up so they can drop them in the rankings and call them bad. Other teams often get the benefit of the doubt. Not sure we do. No, Notre Dame does not. Like, Texas A&M can barely beat Colorado. And, you know, oh, yeah, had a backup quarterback. Well, Notre Dame played with their third string left tackle for half, for most of the game. So, uh, you know, no, Notre Dame's not going to, not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Jeff Fluke says, I still think 10 and 2 is the worst case scenario. I'm with you on that. I'm hopeful that Freeman figures out that his players and the and players walk into the BK offices and lay their jerseys on the desk to boycott Quinn. I was with you till the last part. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Adam Kipker says, Isn't Cristobal from the Nick Saban tree? Kind of. I mean, he coached, he was one of those, you know, head coach, you know, uh, rehabilitation guys. And he was a head coach at, at, uh, at Florida International for a while, had coached at Miami for a while as, an, as a line coach and played in Miami. And, uh, yeah, he got the Oregon job from Alabama. Uh, Jeff Luke says, if Freeman gets hired elsewhere, do you think Mickens will be gone as well as his defensive coordinator? Um, I mean, it's way too early for that. I mean, we're game two, but I think Mark Mickens would like to be the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame is what I think he would like to do. I don't know if he'll get it or not, but I think that's what he would like. Mike Mickens, I mean, Marcus Freeman is going to be fine too, by the way. Uh, Ladarius Martin, our Alabama says, he says, I want y'all's DC talking about Marcus Freeman. Irish for life responds with Freeman is thank put. You can have Quinn though. <laughs> Jay Clampett investments says we have history to tell us that very few, if any positions at Notre Dame progress as the season goes on. I fear that the offensive line is exactly what it is bad for the remainder of the year. I don't agree with that. I don't agree. I, I really don't, especially the last four years. We've seen teams. We've seen Notre, this Notre Dame team get better and better as the year's gone on. The offensive line in 2018 got a lot better at the end of the year than it was the first few games. The 2019, the offense got a lot better down the stretch than it was for much of the year. Uh, last year, I think the offense was really starting to hit its stride and get better than it was. And then Jared Patterson and Tommy Kramer got hurt. So I, I think they've their recent history especially has been that they will improve as the year goes on. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not correct about this offensive line. I'm not saying that because Jeff Quinn's got a lot to prove, but – we have seen it happen before. If Jeff Quinn gets this line better by the middle of the season, it's not going to be like, oh my gosh, we've never seen that before. He did that in 2019 or 2018 and 2019. I mean, the line, honestly, the line in 2019 after guys got hurt ended up playing better than the line early in the year. I'm not saying it's because the guys got hurt. I'm just saying that as the year went on, they got better and better and better. Tommy Gunn says, Brian, the game is what I, I'm at least excited about for the weekend. I'm excited to be in the stadium, the tailgate, the IB tailgate, seeing everyone on campus. Hell, I'm even more excited for the bar in the hotel than I am seeing the final results on the scoreboard. I, I'm excited to see this game. I, I really want to – we're going to learn a lot about this Notre Dame football team. We'll get all into all that here as the week goes on, but I think Notre Dame is going to be fine. I, I really do. And I understand the angst. I do get it. I promise. I just – I don't necessarily share it. I think two games into the season is a little too early. Uh, to be saying this is what this team is and there's going to be no changes and it's just it's who they are and all those kind of things. I think it's a little too early for that. Uh, you know, I think we'll have a much better idea after this weekend as the more we see them, the more we learn. So, you know, but I think right now I, I just I don't I'm not as pessimistic as some people. Uh, Old Grim says, I think Patterson will step up in the locker room. He is the captain. I, I agree with you. And, and I think 
too, he he played better on Saturday. That's a positive too. It's it's one thing to say things. It's nothing to actually play better. And I thought he played better, but I, I'm with you, Grim. I think he'll step up and say some things. Sparkling Swan, have you adjusted your win total yet for Notre Dame, or do you still have them going 12 and 0? They look like a nine and three team to me. So I don't really do it that way. I make my prediction at the beginning of the year, and then after that, it's just evaluating the team as they go. I still don't see a team on their schedule that has more talent than they do. I still don't see a team on a schedule that's just playing so great right now that they're going to lose. I mean, look, like I said, Cincinnati, Wisconsin looked terrible against Penn State. Terrible against Penn State. Uh, they didn't look a whole lot better against Eastern Michigan. So, you know, uh, you look at Cincinnati was tied 7-7 uh, FCS team, Murray State at halftime this past weekend. You look at Stanford, and yeah, they look great against USC. They look terrible against Kansas State. USC looked terrible against San Jose State. Looked terrible against... Um, against Stanford. North Carolina looked terrible against Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia's looked good this year so far. Georgia Tech lost to Northern Illinois. Like, who are the three teams that right now are playing better than Notre Dame? That's the thing is we got to have context. You can't just say they look like a 9-3 and three team. Okay, well, who are the three teams they're going to lose to? Because there's a lot of other teams that would trade places on Notre Dame's schedule that would trade places with Notre Dame in a heartbeat, including all the teams that have a loss. Uh, so, I mean, I get it. Let's just let let's just see how they develop. Let's see how they play this weekend. If they don't make any improvement this weekend, then then maybe I'll I'll have a, a, a change of heart. But I think two games is just, is just too early for that. Paul Rose says just got back in town. Had to watch the game on my phone this weekend. Hopefully, no more O line injuries so they can get things rolling. I hope so too. And no, Graham, I'm, I didn't apologize. I apologize. I read your question, but I did not thank you for the super chat. I appreciate the super chat very very much. And I think. That is gonna, that's going to be it. So I appreciate everybody being in the show today. A lot going on. Uh, obviously, if you just got in late, we talked a lot about Brian Kelly's press conference at the beginning of the show. So we had a lot to talk about with Jordan Patelho, the offensive line, uh, Tyler Buckner, Jack Cohn, all that kind of stuff. So go back and check it out. Appreciate everybody being here with us. Make sure you're locked into irishbreakdown.com. Uh, make sure that you, if you haven't signed up yet, sign up for our message boards. Tons of great conversation going on there. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 1230. Make sure you hit the like button, subscribe, notification bell, and uh, and you'll get a notification that we are good to go tomorrow. So I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Check out Irish Breakdown. Sign up for the Irish Breakdown message boards. We will have our Irish Breakdown tailgate on Saturday at Purdue. So if you're going to be in town, uh, we'd love to see y'all. Uh, and like I said, hit that notification bell. Otherwise, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you all again very, very soon.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.